Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. The slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Last Sunday morning, we sang a hymn, Sowing in the Sunshine, Sowing Seeds of Kindness. But you recall there was also a verse about going forth with weeping. Going forth with weeping and sowing in the shadows. And a final verse that talked about by and by the harvest and the labor ended. And those lines seem to be so appropriate to the text today. Let's take a look at four things I've underlined. The first important thing in this parable is that Jesus said a sower went forth to sow good seeds. Good seeds. The God we worship, the God who so loved the world that he sent his only son Jesus, is a God who does nothing but good things. When good is happening to you, it originated in God. When bad things are happening to you, God is not happy, is not pleased. I had another wedding here late yesterday afternoon. I'd counseled with a couple a couple of weeks before. Beautiful bride, handsome groom, of course. And as I counseled with them, I said, one of my favorite hymn, uh, 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 prayers in the whole ceremony is the one right after I've received the rings from the maid of honor and the best man. As I hold up the rings and tell them what the rings mean, I then say, let us pray. Bless, O Lord, the giving and receiving of these rings, that they who are about to wear them may walk always in your favor and continue forever in your... And this comes from the old Jewish ceremony. The word is shalom. Continue forever in your shalom. I said, guess what? We're asking God's face always to shine upon you after you wear these rings. But the truth is... God's face has been shining on you ever since the day you were born. God's favor has always been available to you. We just want it to continue. After you're married, we want it to continue that you know you walk in the favor of God. God wants good to come to you. God sows good seeds. 1988, we went through Checkpoint Charlie from West Berlin into East Berlin. We went from West Germany on into East Germany. Uh, None of us dared dream that the wall might come down the very next year. But it did, of course, in 1989. And five years ago, Gail and I were back in Berlin. Uh, How the city has changed. When we rode into the city on a beautiful new train, uh, you could see building cranes as far as the eye could see. The wall is no more. We could walk through the Brandenburg Gate and down the a beautiful avenue called the Unterden Linden. Beautiful linden trees. It's wonderful. Only now, 
are we having translated into English the works of a great preacher who came out of East Germany? His name, Wolf Krutke. Wolf Krutke is now 68 years old, but he was just a boy when his beloved East Germany was handed over to the Soviet Union. As a part of the settlement at the end of World War II, his beloved part of his country were handed over to the Soviets. He was only 19, a student in college, when one night the dreaded police showed up at his room and without explanation uh, put him in cuffs and took him away to prison in Leipzig. They would say later that he was a threat, a danger somehow to this communistic party. But what he was teaching and preaching and learning in, in, in college uh, was subversive somehow to the ways of the Communist Party. Finally, he was freed from the prison. In 1989, the wall came down and he was allowed to teach, eventually to become the dean of the seminary in Berlin. Wolf Krutke's works are now being translated into English. And in one of those, he describes his experiences in that prison at Leipzig. He was placed in solitary confinement, a 19-year-old young man in solitary confinement. He had done nothing except try to practice his faith as he understood it. That's all. And that faith was seen as subversive to the communism of the Soviet Union. He was placed in solitary confinement. He says there was a wooden bench. He was supposed to sleep on that but only when they told him he could sleep. And that was sometime after 10 p.m. and before 6 a.m. the next morning. If they caught him dozing off in the middle of the day, at any time before 10 p.m., there were serious consequences to be paid. Once a week, he was taken out and allowed to shower. Twice a week, he was allowed to walk up and down one little hallway just twice a week for 15 minutes. All the rest of the time, he was in this tiny cell. How tiny? The wooden bench was against the back wall. He said he could take two steps forward. He could take three steps to the right. And in the corner, that smelly bucket where he was to relieve himself. Three steps back, two steps toward the bench. That's all the space he had. There was no television, of course. There was no radio, of course. There was no reading material at all. No window. Couldn't look outside. Couldn't see anything but this little solitary cell. A wooden bench. He could sit on it. Couldn't close his eyes until 10 p.m. Had to wake them up no later than 6 a.m. And the rest of the time, it was only he in this tiny little room. And so he said, I will forever have in my mind two steps forward, three steps to the right. Turn, three steps back, turn left, two steps, the wooden bench. Two steps forward, three steps to the right. That was it. Do you know what kept me from losing my mind, he's written? Do you know what kept me from going absolutely stark crazy? from giving up all hope of ever being released. My mother and father took me to church when I was a child. Like most children, he said, I didn't want to go every Sunday. I put up a fuss from time to time. But I will be forever grateful because suddenly all that I had learned 
in that church came back into my heart and mind. If you had asked me on any normal day to start reciting things, I probably would not have been able. But in these hours upon hours, days upon days, months upon months, everything I'd ever learned came back. When I went through confirmation class in the Lutheran church, we were taught by catechism. Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. I found that all of them came back to me. I could ask myself the question. I could give the right answer. But you know what helped me more than anything else? The hymns. The hymns. Suddenly, every song I had ever heard sung in that little church, every hymn I had helped to sing once I was a teenager and a part of one of the choirs, every hymn, and in my heart, I sang them over and over and over, and they fed me. These hymns were about the goodness of God. Here I was in such a bad place with so many bad things happening to me, but God had been forever good, and I knew about Him. I had met Him. He had claimed me for His own. Number two. The slaves came to this landowner and asked, Didn't you sow good seeds? Where do these weeds come from? And Dr. Edward Schweitzer says that when Matthew writes, years have passed since the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he and the community to which he's writing have all seen weeds among the wheat. In the best of families, suddenly there is one who is vile, hateful, mean, self-centered, are just devious, difficult to live with. The church can seem to be moving along so wonderfully well, and then suddenly there's a spirit of pettiness, of, of gossip, of backbiting that occurs. If good is being sowed, where'd these weeds come from? Aren't you surprised from time to time where the weeds come from? Do you ever watch the news at 6 o'clock and 10 o'clock when some person has been arrested for doing some vile thing and the neighbors inevitably say, he seemed like such a nice person. She seemed like such a nice person. I can't believe he would ever have done such a thing. Where did these weeds come from? If we're sowing good seeds, if God Almighty before us has sown these good seeds, Where'd these weeds come from? Bonnie Lukes has written about her four-year-old granddaughter coming for a visit. She was all excited about this, to get to keep this four-year-old for a time. She said, I remembered her mother and dad saying to me how much she had enjoyed Cinderella. So before they got to my house, I went down to a store and I rented Cinderella. And when her mom and dad hugged her and drove away, I said to her, guess what I got for you? Cinderella. Now, we can't watch Cinderella till we make some popcorn and some lemonade so we can really enjoy Cinderella. So she helped me make popcorn and she helped me make lemonade and we got our seats right in front of the television and I clicked on Cinderella. And suddenly, this little four-year-old asked, Could I hold the clicker? And the grandmother said, 
well, we don't really need a clicker when we're watching a movie. And the little girl said, I do, because there are some scary parts. And Bonnie said, really? And the little girl said, I don't like the wicked stepmother, she said. And my mommy taught me how to fast forward past her. And so Bonnie says, we watched Cinderella, but every time the wicked stepmother would appear, we fast-forwarded right on past her. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do that our whole lives? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Some of the hardest, most difficult times seem to drag on almost forever. The scary parts that come into our lives. Where did these weeds come from? They are here whether we like it or not. Number three, shall we go pull them up? Every scholar I read this week said, well, of course, that's what everybody would do. Jesus knew that was the first thing that would come to their mind. Well, of course you go pull up the weeds. That's what you do in your flower bed. It's what you do in your garden in the backyard. You pull up weeds when they threaten what you've planted that's good. And they're amazed when he said, no, Let's let them grow together. Now, the scholars, again, were very cautious at this point to remind us that this does not mean we're supposed to put up with violence, with oppression, with bigotry and racism and all these terrible things that are a part of our society. We're not supposed to put up with these things. A few minutes ago, just before we baptized little Hayden, I asked his mother and father, Will you oppose oppression, violence, things that are not right? Will you? And they said, we will. That's the right answer. You and I have given that answer when asked. Will you oppose violence and hatred and inequality and racism and bigotry and so on? We will. And certainly Jesus is not saying that we should not oppose injustice. So much of this all-important book of God is about our not tolerating injustice, our working for righteousness and goodness and mercy. What Jesus is saying here is that you don't always know enough to judge, and you are far too impatient, too eager to root out folks who don't see things the way you do. That Jesus is, in fact, reacting here to groups in his own time. We know about the Essenes. The Essenes founded a community down at a place called Qumran. You know them as the little community that produced the Dead Sea Scrolls. They did some good things, but they also were all of one mind and heart. And if you didn't act the way they acted, they booted you out. It was that simple. There was a group called the Zealots. They ended up at the top of Masada. When the Romans had come, these were the groups who wanted to stick one of their curved little knives into the belly of every Roman and lift straight toward the gizzard if they could. And if you didn't see things the way they saw things, you were supposed to get out. Even the Pharisees had very rigid understandings of what right was and what wrong was. And if you didn't see right the way they did, you were supposed to clear out. And Jesus is making bigger the circle making bigger. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful that you do not judge when you don't have enough information or that you're too impatient with people who just haven't 
realized their potential yet. I remember when we went to Cairo, we saw the museum in Cairo, the King Tut exhibit, one of the important things. And I remember hearing that there were grain seeds in the tomb that had been in the pyramid for 3,000 years. And when these grain seeds were found, because this was to be sure Tut had something to eat when he got to the afterlife, when these grain seeds were exposed to water and sunlight again, they germinated and grew. Do you remember that? 3,000-year-old seeds germinated and grew. Do you remember Walden, Henry Thoreau's work? In that work, Walden, uh, Henry Thoreau describes uh, folks living out in the country there who had a table in their kitchen made out of applewood, he said. Now, they'd had this table in the family for 60 years. And one morning at breakfast, they thought they heard something that sounded almost like a, a faint gnawing sound. They looked under the table, at each end of the table, couldn't find anything. At lunch, it was still there. And at supper time that night, it was still there, that little faint noise. And it was there the next day and the day after that. Two weeks after they first started hearing it, a little bug popped through. A little bug from a, an egg planted in that applewood tree more than 60 years before. Neighbors theorized that they must have started setting a coffee pot or something right at the right spot that generated just enough heat for that egg to turn into this little insect that gnawed its way out of the table. Point being, you and I tend to be too impatient. Sometimes it takes longer for some than others. We all need to be growing. We all need to be becoming more nearly what God had in mind when he created us, but we need to be patient. Be sure the circle is as big as our Lord Jesus wants it to be. Just to be sure. Number four. But we will be held accountable. The Bible is very clear about that. And if we've been given much, then much will be expected from us. We will be held accountable. Uh, Rabbi Joseph Lieberman has written about a nightmare he had one night. He said, it was a nightmare. I dreamed that I had died and that I was moving up a hill toward the gates of eternity. And as I walked up the hill in my dream, it was clear as day that when I got to the gate, God was going to ask me, why were you not a Moses? Why were you not a David? Why were you not a Solomon? Why were you not an Isaiah or a Jeremiah? And I got to the gate, and what God asked me was, Why were you not Joseph Lieberman? Why were you not Joseph Lieberman? Last Tuesday, I saw a physician friend. Uh, How are you doing? I'm fine. I said, I want to tell you something that happened last night. I'm not going to explain it. I'm just going to tell you what happened. It's okay. He said, I've had an aunt all my life who was a devout Roman Catholic. Her faith in Christ always expressed through the Roman Catholic Church. She loved the Mass. She loved every part about her church. And when her husband died, she wanted to spend the last years of her life in a Catholic home here in Tulsa. And he said at first she was able to come and go as she pleased, but gradually her health deteriorated. 
and she was near death. Last night, he told me Tuesday morning, she died. Died suddenly, even though not unexpectedly. And the attendants called her daughter, this doctor's cousin, that her mother had just died. So not only did the daughter rush over, but they had rushed over to be there to support her. And the daughter's first question was, did my mother have last rites? And the nurse said, no. Uh, she died so suddenly, so quickly. We, we just didn't know she was quite so close to death. And the daughter said, I want a priest here as soon as possible. And so the priest that worked with his home was called, and he got there very quickly, and he put his stole around his neck and began to say the prayers on behalf of the dead and those whom they'd loved so much. Prayers that she knew by heart, prayers that she loved. What the doctor said was, when my cousin had first asked, did my mother have the last rites? You know that fluorescent light just over a bed in a sick room? It went out. And when this priest offered the last prayer and said, Amen, that light came back on. I believe my aunt had gone home. 